Sam. Yeah, Don? Why are we all here? We're all here because we're not all there. Where'd you hear that? I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, when you were new in AA, was there anything you just didn't understand about the meetings? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Me too. All right. So the first meeting I ever went to, I was like 18 years old. I didn't go back until I was 32. But that meeting, so I sat down in the meeting clubhouse. This person handed me this laminated piece of paper. And my immediate thought was like, well, he must know that I'm new. And this is something that they give new people to tell us what's going on. So I'm reading it and it kind of worked with that, uh, that thought process of, you know, because it was giving me some information about Alcoholics Anonymous. And then the meeting started and people started reading aloud off of these laminated pieces of paper. And I realized I'm supposed to do this brand new in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've been given something to read out loud in this packed meeting room. Oh, no, your first meeting. Um, yes. And so I like I'm trying to get the people around me to take it. No one will take it from me. And and it's getting closer. And finally, someone way on down the table agreed to take the reading from me. And I didn't have to do it. But oh, my God. Yeah, I totally didn't know that was coming. <laughs> oh, my goodness. For me, I thought, you know, OK, these meetings are in churches. I talked to someone and they said, we're not affiliated with the churches. I didn't believe that. Finally, I got a sponsor. And that was what I really needed to really understand what was going on in AA. Because when I was growing up, there were fake coffee houses that were put on by churches. And they had groovy fonts, you know, like Jimi Hendrix font. Groovy means the 60s, y'all. <laughs> yeah, really well. <laughs> As it should, <laughs> because that's <laughs> what it was. The insider coffee shop, and you'd go to it and really be about trying to get you to join the church. <laughs> They're put on in church. Well, you know, and, and most of the meetings that I grew up in were church basement meetings, too, and they pass a basket. I mean, how churchy is that? Yeah, there's things about it that I just, even though I was like, okay, this could be on the up and up, but I don't really trust it. And that's only natural because I was new. Well, yeah, we're not very trusting when we walk into these rooms. <laughs> no, we're kidding, right? No, we have questions. <laughs> Turned out that it wasn't affiliated with the church at all. They paid rent to have the meeting there. So today we've got a question submitted by a listener. We found a longtime member of AA to answer that question in a segment called Ask the Old Timer. Today, we have Rich answering a question from Rebecca. After that, we'll be playing our periodic big book quiz show, Stump the Thumpers. You don't want to miss that. My name is Rich. I'm an alcoholic. I live in... Los Angeles, primarily. 
Hey, Rich, thanks so much for joining us. We're really happy to have you as our old timer today. <laughs> so <laughs> when did you get sober? May 16th, 1982. Oh, so you are uh, an old timer. I guess so. And I, but funny thing about that, for years, I would go to a, a meeting on Friday nights and there were several people in the front row who were really old timers. And so I never considered myself an old timer, even at 25 years sober, even at 30 years sober, because as long as they were there and they were in the front row, you know, I wasn't an old timer. <laughs> I hear you. What got you in the rooms, though? Let's talk about that. I will um, be 40 years sober on my next anniversary, and I uh, will be 65 years old uh, this coming Tuesday. So I have been here, you know, my entire adult life. Uh, but what got me here was, you know, I, I describe myself as a consequences alcoholic. Whenever I drank, something bad happened, you know. Uh -huh. And uh, I, I did leave home when I was uh, 17 and moved to New York City, and I was uh, in a popular rock and roll band. But the one thing that they have in California that they didn't have in New York that really was the source of all my trouble is called the automobile. So when I moved back to California in short order, I ended up totaling five cars, wrecking two motorcycles. I was arrested three times. I had six failures to appear warrants for my arrest in five different California counties. And I had my uh, driver's license uh, taken away and was sued for negligent driving by the state of California. All of those warrants had to be adjudicated one county at a time. There was no internet, and half those counties did not have fax machines. But the one most important thing you have to remember when your driver's license is uh, taken away is that you have to drive very carefully. You oh, know? Yes, <laughs> and, uh, absolutely. So I ended up driving to all those counties and having those warrants finally adjudicated so I could get my driver's license back. I think you just qualified, man. <laughs> <laughs> One of the tough things about getting to know an old timer is that you've got so much recovery time, mm -hmm. so much experience of living in recovery that it just can't be encapsulated. But I'm going to ask you to do that. Give me a quick summation of what nearly 40 years of recovery looks like to you. Wow. Well, um, I would say, simply put, the greatest lesson I think I've learned in recovery, and I, I would not have learned it without the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I am the source of my own suffering. And I organize my uh, recovery around step 10. And I take literally the phrase, continue to take personal inventory. So my 10th step includes a, a resentment list, a fierce list, and a sexual misconduct inventory. And I believe that Bill, our founder, created that inventory as a utilitarian device, basically triangulating the single question, just how self-centered am I? And it's through that process that I've learned and am reminded that it's always me. It is never you 100% of the time. And all the principles that guide that guide me in my daily life. And I try to live them to the best of my ability. Okay. I'm a little speechless. <laughs> uh, what a fantastic way to put that. Thank you. Well, Rich, we got a question for you. Okay. Hi, this is Rebecca from Toronto. And my question for the old timer is, 
I really struggle with all the God talk in AA. It makes me uncomfortable since I am agnostic at best. I know it's supposed to be a higher power of our understanding, but the word God sure does get used a lot. How can I get past that uncomfortable feeling I get with all the God speak? Thank you. Wow, it's, it's a great question. And it's a question that we all ask you know, at one point or another in our recovery, I think. Of course, it depends on our background and where we came from. And, and full disclosure, I do not believe in an intervening God. That is, I, I would never get down on my knees and say, dear God, please have Aunt Sally's gallbladder surgery go well. And, and I, although I don't believe in an intervening God, nor am I so arrogant as to say there is not one. But the book makes clear that Deep down inside of every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. Now, that's a quote. And I can only share my experience. And I was about eight years old, and I'm standing on the beach in Stinson Beach in Northern California, just across the Golden Gate Bridge, a very beautiful place where I grew up. And I'm standing on the beach, and the tide is going out, and the tide is coming in, the tide is going out. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's there's something going on here. You know, I don't know what it is, but there's something. And shortly after that, in school, I learned about the phases of the moon and how the phases of the moon impacted the tide going out and the tide coming in and the tide going out. And I said, this is some big stuff. You know, and again, I'm eight years old. I can't name it. But deep down inside of every man, woman, and child is this fundamental idea. And it wasn't until many, many years later when I heard a quote and uh, someone had said to uh, Albert Einstein, almost accusingly, saying that, that he was an atheist. And he said, no, I'm not an atheist. And he quoted the great Jewish heretic philosopher Spinoza when he said that God reveals himself through the lawful harmony of all that exists. And when I heard that for the very first time, it put me squarely back on that Stinson Beach that day. And I get chills when I even think about this because this, this, when I do an 11th step, I'm, I'm basically praying, if you will, to be reminded of this fact and that I know that if I'm not in this flow, in this sort of harmonic, you know, pathway of living, that there's something up, right? And, and so all I want is to be lined up with whatever that harmony is. And when I'm not lined up, I know that there's something present and it's always a resentment. And when I do a resentment inventory, I write down a resentment and 14 more fall out of my pen before I know what happened. <laughs> and then I do a fears list and then I do a sexual misconduct inventory. And of course, the sexual misconduct inventory has really nothing to do with sexual misconduct. Our founder, Bill, was quite a personally a fan of sexual misconduct. It was it's just another way of asking the same question about how selfish am I? How self-centered am I? And so I go through that process just to have clarity about how is it that I'm showing up in the world right now, present time, 
that is keeping me from being expressed in this harmony, in this flow. And I do that. That's a practice I do uh, very regularly. You know, I could see a newcomer reading Bill's story, chapter one, um, and being, uh, it's a little off-putting, right? Mm -hmm. He has this white light experience, um, which was a personal experience to Bill. And somewhat ironically, the book went to print in 1939. And shortly after the book is already in the presses, Bill meets Father Dowling in St. Louis, who is a Jesuit priest. And they become great friends. In fact, uh, Father Dowling really served as Bill's sponsor, certainly his spiritual advisor, which is saying something because Bill Wilson never walked into an AA meeting where anyone in the room had more time than he did, right? Truly. And uh, so he cultivated this relationship. Father Dowling was fascinated by the 12 steps. But the significance of that relationship is that Father Dowling really is the one who softened Bill's view of this notion of spiritual awakening. And it's ironic because he's a Catholic priest, you know. And so Bill immediately went to, he drafted the appendix called The Spiritual Experience, and the next printing included that. And basically, you know, where he has his white light experience, there's a little asterisk on the bottom and says, see the appendix on spiritual experience. And you should always do that when you're reading the book. (laughs) You must. Absolutely. Here is a a really important part of our book that is sitting all the way in the back, but it defines spiritual awakening as a profound personality experience sufficient to bring about the recovery from alcoholism. And I would say that, you know, if I can admit powerlessness. And and remember, step one is just defining the problem, you know, which is powerlessness. Step two defines the solution, which is some power other than myself. You know, if I'm new and I walk into an AA meeting and there's 40 people in there, by definition, those 40 people are a power greater than myself. So if step one defines the problem and step two defines the solution, then step three is simply where I decide whether I want to live in the problem you know, or the solution. And I would say that if I can admit powerlessness and come to believe and make a decision and be fearless and searching and disclose my defects of character and become willing to be unburdened by them and then ask that they be removed in step seven and clean up my in eight and nine and continue to clean up my in 10 and cultivate a relationship with some power other than myself in 11 and then turn outward in service to others in step 12. I submit that if I were to do all 12 of those things, it would be a virtual impossibility not to have a profound personality change and therefore a spiritual awakening. And so I would be less concerned about the question, I, you know, or if I were new and I was asking that question, I would invite that person to step back and put that question aside and to just show up and embark on this journey. You know, we're taking steps, not leaps. It's incremental. And they all lead to this one place. Step 12 reads, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. That's all there is here. There's no point in the big book where you turn the page and it says, and now we stop drinking. It's not mentioned. (laughs) The whole purpose of the book 
is to bring us into an awareness of uh, humility of, of the awareness of a, a power other and greater than ourselves. And, uh, and I think the steps do a good job getting us there. Rich, thank you. What a fantastic answer to that question. Rebecca, thank you for your question. Rich, I can't wait to find you in a meeting. I know you're <laughs> going to be sitting up on the front row with all the old timers. Oh, gosh. Yeah, probably now. Just so I could hear, right? <laughs> Rich, thanks so much for joining us. Take care. All right. Thank you very much. That's a big book. It's time to play Stump the Thumpers, our big book quiz show. And here's our quiz master, Donnie Wani Bonnie. <laughs> Thanks, Spammy. I have researched the first 156 pages of the big book. Wait, 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 I'm wait. Go- Don't you mean the first 164? Correct. We have a winner. Yes, indeed. 164. I was just testing you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but actually, I've scoured the big book thoroughly cover to cover, including the stories, to find three easy questions for our contestant. You know, you saying that you've scoured the big book really just kind of makes me think you're bragging that you know everything about the big book. But easy is a relative term. It's easy if you know the answer, Don. Well, how hard can it be? These are multiple choice questions. And what do they win, Sam? Uh, The warm glow of accomplishment. Is that all? Mm, And a subscription to the grapevine? That's great. Well, who has agreed to be a victim? I mean, to uh, play our game today. I'm Melanie. I'm an alcoholic from Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Melanie. Thanks for joining us for the game. Melanie, it's so good for you to be here with us today. When did you get sober? Which time? Just kidding. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I got sober every time I stopped drinking. Yeah, maybe I should ask this question. How long have you been reading the big book? Since 1999. So you probably absorbed a little bit of it in that amount of time. Maybe a little bit. (laughs) A little. We are so going to find out. Well, Melly, but first, did you have a hard time getting sober in AA? I did. The last time that you got sober and hadn't drank again since then, what is different from the times before when you drank and then went back out? I think this time I really surrendered, really listened, really believed in something that was higher than myself. So, yeah, just getting involved with the fellowship more and being open minded. What gave you the willingness to be open minded and to surrender? Whereas before you weren't able to do that. So what was different this time is that I, I proved that I was an alcoholic and I just couldn't stop. And I kept trying for months and months and months until finally I realized that I couldn't do it on my own. And I really needed to go to treatment again 
you know, realizing that I'm sitting in my home group one night and I was crying and drunk and sitting next to my sponsee sister who I got to drink with me and then having our sponsor give me my start over chip. So I think that was a major bottom right there. (laughs) You know, what I'm hearing right there is a true first step admitted we were powerless over alcohol. And that was the key thing. I had to prove to myself that I was an alcoholic. And when that finally happened, then things started changing. Yes, definitely. Well, I'm glad you're here. We've got a couple of questions for you. We've got two questions and then we've got a final bonus whoopee question. A whoopee question. Whoopee <laughs> Okay, so here's the first question. It's multiple choice. From the text of There is a Solution, where does the alcoholic begin to appear after the doctor is given sedatives? Here are your choices. The alcoholic begins to appear in bars and dance halls, in hospitals and sanitariums, on stage and films, in churches and nunneries, or in the fifth dimension of existence? Where does the alcoholic begin to appear after a doctor has given sedatives? In the hospital and sanitariums. Ding, 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 ding. The answer is on page 22. Then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. Perhaps he goes to a doctor who gives him morphine or some sedative with which to taper off. Then he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums. Number two, hospitals and sanitariums. Great job, Melanie. Nice. Okay, this one, this one might be a little bit harder. I don't know. Which dynamic, colorful expression is not in the big book? Shivering denizens. Boiled as an owl, the age of miracles, shod with winged shoes, a state of mental goose flesh, spearheads of God's ever advancing creation. Which expression is not in the big book? What was the second? The second one, boiled as an owl. Okay, third multiple choice. The age of miracles. That one. Wah, 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 wah. The answer is number four. Shod with winged shoes is not in Alcoholics Anonymous. It comes from Emmett Fox's book, The Sermon on the Mount, which greatly influenced Bill's writing. Well, darn. <laughs> You know, in Sermon on the Mount, which I recently reread, it is filled with expressions that are in the big book. So it, it's exactly the same kind of language. So I can see how you, I, it, was, it was a little tricky. So that was a tricky question. A little bit. <laughs> but you've met Don. You know how he is, right? I mean, you know, any spiritual gas giant grand poobah book thumper is going to do something like that. Sam. Oh, excuse me. Were you listening? Melanie, don't both of you consider yourselves like I do to be spearheads of God's ever advancing creation? Ooh, that brought on a state of mental goose flesh. 
<laughs> I totally do. Okay, Melanie. <laughs> We're one and one here uh, for our last question, the final bonus whoopee question. Dr. Bob hid his liquor bottles in many places in Dr. Bob's story. Dr. Bob did not hide his bottles where? In the coal bin, in the toilet water tank, in a fur-lined glove, in the clothes chute, over door jams. Which one of those did Dr. Bob not use to hide his liquor bottles? You want to hear them again? Yes, I do. In the coal bin, in the toilet water tank, in a fur-lined glove, in the clothes chute, over door jams. Mm. What say ye? I would say door jams. Door jams. Wah, 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 wah. The furling. I, I hear you, Melanie. I mean, in the very beginning, he said these are easy questions. <laughs> I bet that one would stump even the old timers. You kick might. <laughs> so the answer. The furling glove. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Page 176. I used to put eight or 12 ounce bottles of alcohol in a fur-lined glove and toss it onto the back airing porch when winter days. If my wife was planning to go out in the afternoon, I would get a large supply of liquor and hide it in the coal bin, the clothes chute, over door jams, over beams in the cellar, and in cracks in the cellar tile. The water tank on the toilet I never used because that looked too easy. Number two, Bob did not hide liquor bottles in the toilet water tank. Cripes and criminy. I'm sorry, Melody, but that was a little bit tricky because so many of these questions are going to rely on things that you've heard again and again. And I've heard again and again, the toilet water tank. It's just, it's, that's the one that he didn't use. That's where I got stumped. Stumped the exactly. <laughs> Did you have fun even though you lost two of them? They're kind of hard. Well, because the whole like toilet thing, it was just like everybody does that. Yeah. And it was mentioned more yeah. than once. That's not fair. You know, <laughs> right? the only time I hid my liquor was in the freezer. I hid the vodka in the freezer, like behind stuff so that my husband wouldn't find it because I didn't want him drinking it. <laughs> I didn't hide my alcohol, but I did throw my beer cans away in different trash cans so that they wouldn't pile up on one trash can. Did you ever hide alcohol, Melanie? Yes, I would. Hi I hit it like there's this lazy Susan thing because I figured he wouldn't like go through that. I put it behind the other bottles so that you could just turn it and your liquor would appear. Yes. <laughs> Like magic. Melanie, thanks for playing the game. You got one out of three, but that doesn't matter. You still are going to get the warm glow of achievement. And we will also be sending you a freshly boiled owl. 
<laughs> it's the consolation gift. Oh. Expect that in the mail soon. My cats will love that. <laughs> Thanks, Melanie. Thanks so much, Melanie. Thank you for asking me. What's the difference between a grapevine joke and the AA preamble? A moment of silence is observed before the preamble. (laughs) 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 It's really not that hard. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. I am recording now. It said you can leave meeting. I'm leaving. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, you'll see. Don, are we going to give her half a second to Google the answers? I've got a big book. Put that down. This is not an open book quiz. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite? Flip, just thumb through real quick and stop on a page and read us the first highlighted thing you see. Ew. One nineteen. <laughs> Two wives. Nothing's highlighted there because I probably hate that one. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a difficult chapter for a lot of people. It is not highlighted one bit. Two wives takes some interpretation going through there it to make it no work. There are no highlights throughout the whole thing. <laughs>